You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. In time, the Medes and the Persians defeated the Babylonians, and now we have the Medes and the Persians ruling, and here's Darius the Mede. Why did it happen? Because they wouldn't repent. They would not listen. Where are your forefathers now, verse 5? Well, they're all over the place. And the prophets, do they live forever? The idea is, hey, the voice that God sends you is not going to go on and on and on forever. Pay attention while they're speaking. Why you have time and opportunity. Have you ever been convicted of a specific sin and then ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit over time? Have you noticed that you become more and more callous to the Holy Spirit's voice as you disobey? Today, Pastor Danny will be explaining how the Israelites deliberately disobeyed God and God eventually allowed them to reap judgment. God gave the Israelites numerous prophets to try and get them to repent, but they rejected them all. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit living within you. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Zechariah, chapter 1, as he begins his message, Zechariah, part 1. We've gone from the ministries of Amos, Micah, Isaiah, men like that, and we fast-forwarded here in Zechariah some 200 years. And now, there's not even a Jewish king ruling. He's a foreigner. His name is Darius. Why'd that happen? Verse 2, Zechariah chapter 1. The Lord was very angry with your forefathers. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me. means repent declares the Lord Almighty, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your forefathers, to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways, repent, and your evil practices. But they wouldn't listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your forefathers now? Stop there. Where are they? Well, a lot of them have been deported from the land of Israel to places like Assyria because God spoke to the northern kingdom. That's where the idolatry started. And he sends prophets to the northern kingdom and says, you guys need to repent. You need to stop your sin, uh, your idolatry, or judgment's coming. Well, they didn't listen. Years passed. They thought, ah, oh, it's never going to happen what God said. It finally happened by way of Assyria. And Assyria comes in and overtakes now the northern kingdom, and they... Uh, import Assyrians into the northern kingdom. They deport Israelites into Assyria. So a lot of the Jewish people are now in Assyria. Years pass, the southern kingdom, they hear about what's happening in the northern kingdom, and they don't, they don't learn. They don't learn anything. And God sends prophets to them, said, you're going you're gonna to end up just like them if you don't repent. And they're like, ah, we're okay. 
and they don't repent. And in time, God uses not Assyria for the southern kingdom. He sends Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. And they come in, destroy Jerusalem, uh, deport Israelites from the southern kingdom into Babylon, import Babylonians into the southern kingdom. That's what happened. Didn't happen overnight, but it happened. Babylon ruled for a period of time, just like Assyria in the north. But then other nations came in. In time, the Medes and the Persians defeated the Babylonians, and now we have the Medes and the Persians ruling, and here's Darius the Mede. Why did it happen? Because they wouldn't repent. They would not listen. Where are your forefathers now? Verse 5. Well, they're all over the place. And the prophets, do they live forever? The idea is, hey, the voice that God sends you is not going to go on and on and on forever. Pay attention while they're speaking. While you have time and opportunity. But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? In other words, what I said was going to happen. That's what happened. But then he doesn't stop there. Then they repented. And they said, the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. What's he talking about there? He's saying there was now a remnant that finally got it. And after seeing all that God did uh, by allowing the Assyrians to come in and then the Babylonians to come in, and there were future people, some who were even born in a foreign land, men like Daniel. And if you read the book of Daniel, Daniel prays. He confesses his sin. He confesses the sin of his forefathers. He said, yeah, we messed up, God, and all this has happened to us because of our sin. Oh, God. And then he reminds God of his word, that God promised that even if you do go away and go astray, if you repent, even from a foreign land, I will hear from heaven. And God does hear. And men like Daniel and others begin to pray, and God raises up new prophets after hundreds of years. And here's the deal. What the enemy had been allowed to ruin and destroy, God now begins to rebuild. Second half of chapter one, if you read it, can be a confusing area. I think you get the first few verses in chapter one, especially with the context I just mentioned. Then Zechariah sees this guy among some myrtle trees, there are these riders on horses, different color horses, red, brown, and white. What is that? The nations. God uses nations like Assyria, Babylon. He would later use Egypt, other nations, to basically spank Israel for their sin. Try to get their attention. Get them to wake up. Get right with God. But then God promises because sometimes the Israelites would go, wait a minute, these guys are wicked, they're idolaters, and you're allowing them to come in and take over? He says, look, I'm using even godless nations, but understand, these godless nations, their day will come too. And that's what the end of chapter 1 is all about. God says, I'm using them for my purposes, but their day's coming too. Then you get to chapter 2. Chapter 2. God talks about rebuilding what the enemy has been allowed to destroy. And as you read, what you're going to find is that there are double meanings. 
Pay attention for a minute. Double meanings. When you read chapter 5, I'm sure everybody read it, right? I mean, there's Zacharias. He's a woman. She's in a basket. The basket, we're told what the woman is, what she represents. She represents wickedness. There's a lead cover on the basket. Why a lead cover? Because she's hard to restrain. She's hard to keep in the basket. It's the wickedness. One of those mysterious passages, they're taking the basket somewhere. Verse 10 of chapter 5, I asked the angel who was speaking to me, where are you taking the basket? And he said, to the country of Babylon, to build a house for it. When it's ready, the basket will be set in place. I'm sure a lot of you read that and go, what in the world is he talking about there? I get chapter 1 now. God's judgment upon the nations, and then God rebuilding what the enemy is allowed to destroy. But what's this one talking about? Well, here's one of those double meanings. Because Babylon's not ruling anymore. So why Babylon? This is where you have Scripture interpreting Scripture. When you study, when you read over time, you'll go to places like Revelation where God refers to the world and the sinfulness of the world, and he refers to the world as Babylon. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes. He's talking spiritually. What's happening in chapter 5, you go beyond God judging the nations historically to now a worldwide judgment. The wickedness of the world restrained for a period of time, as hard as it is to do so. And the Bible says one day, he who restrains that wickedness will be taken out of the way. And then you have what we know as the great tribulation described in places like Revelation chapter 17, verse 5. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Worldwide judgment. One day coming, and then you get to chapter 6. You don't want to miss this. He continues in the first part of chapter 6, four chariots, again, worldwide judgment. And then in verse 9, fascinating prophecy. The word of the Lord came to me. Take silver and gold from the exiles, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jodiah, who have arrived from Babylon. Go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah. Take the silver, the gold, make a crown. Set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. That was the high priest during Zechariah's day, during his ministry. Joshua is the same Old Testament name as the New Testament name, Jesus. And that's important because here, again, you have a double meaning. A historical Joshua, the son of this dude, Jehozadak, but then he's representative. He's a metaphor of a future Joshua. Verse 12, tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here's the man whose name is the branch. The branch. The branch. Pause. We're coming right back to the passage. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah Chapter 11, I hope I'm not losing you. I hope I'm helping you see it. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, the father of David, 
From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, the fear of the Lord. He'll delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he'll give decisions for the poor of the earth. He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he'll slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness the sash around his waist. When he rules and reigns in a coming day, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. No more walls at Bush Gardens. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. He's talking about the day when Jesus comes to rule and reign. And what's called the thousand year reign. Back to Zechariah. The branch. The branch here is the double meaning. This is not Joshua in history. This is Jesus. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he'll be clothed with majesty. And he'll sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne. And there will be harmony between the two. What does that mean? I have a study Bible. And if I look over to the right in the margin, on that verse, there's the question. Could a priest also be king in Israel? Study Bibles can help you learn. And here's what it says. Priests had to belong to the tribe of Levi. Kings were to come from the line of David, from the tribe of Judah. A priest, therefore, could not also be a king. But there's one coming whose name is Jesus, and he will be the political ruler, king of kings, lord of lords. But he will also be the religious ruler. He's the branch from the root of Jesse. He's a descendant, humanly, of King David. I love this book. Man, what a prophecy. What a promise. And if you want undeniable evidence that what I'm suggesting to you in the double meanings here, you just look at Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 8. And you can't get any clearer than this. Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. Men symbolic of things to come. When you really boil it all down, there are specific things here, and sometimes you read it and you go, I don't really know what he's talking about, and hopefully, little comments, Bible study, will help us learn. And the more you learn, the more you're going to find that while some things you go, on the surface, that seemed complicated. Once you figure it out, it's actually pretty simple. You know what the message of Zechariah is? In summary, same message in the whole Bible. Same message of all the prophets. Here's what it is. God calls people to repent. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And if you do not repent, judgment 
You don't have to be judged. All you got to do is repent. All you got to do is turn. All you got to do is receive the forgiveness. All you got to do is turn to God. And what God wants to do is restore. Restore. That's the message of the Bible. God wants to give us hope. God wants to give us peace. God wants to give us joy. God wants us to have Christmas all year round. And what you'll find is there are these historical things that happen repeatedly. He calls people to repent. Some do. Some don't. Most don't. And the ones that don't ultimately face judgment. The ones that do, they experience what God wants to do. Listen to the practical implications of this. I was just reading in the Gospel of John, the thief, it's the devil, he's come to steal. He's come to kill. He's come to destroy. It's never been more fresh than it is for me this weekend. I don't know if you saw on the news, I don't know if you saw the headlines this past week, 25-year-old young man. He's a roofer. He goes to work a few days ago. He never got to get on the roof that day. Before they got in their trucks and went out to do roofing, guy comes up behind him wearing a mask, pumps two bullets in the back of his head, and then pumps his body full of bullets, he's gone. 25 years old. I get the phone call. His mother, off and on, has been part of our church for years. Her son, when I saw the pictures, I remembered him. We baptized him in 2017 at a sunrise service. I did the service yesterday. The place was packed. Every Christmas now, that mother and that family is going to feel the pain and the loss and the ruin of what sin has done to their family. Somebody filled with hatred pulled a gun and did a wicked thing. And hell is rejoicing. That's what hell loves. Satan loves it. It's, it's so twisted, isn't it? Don't you just hate Satan because he just, he's so twisted. He loves that kind of stuff. He loves to rob people of life. He loves to rob people of hope. He loves to squelch your dreams. He loves you when you have to, he loves it when you have to sit around at Christmas and everybody else is full of joy and you are just absolutely miserable. Imagine what it was like for these people in a foreign land their homes and their lives devastated. But God comes. God calls men like Zechariah. And even though the devil's been allowed to do all this damage, he says, look, there's still hope if you'll just repent. I got to stand yesterday at that funeral and unashamedly and clearly communicate that the only hope is in Jesus. And I prayed and I prayed and I still pray that some of those people heard deep in their heart that the tragedy wouldn't be in vain, that Jason wouldn't have died in vain, that they would face death and realize that though tragic it is, especially in that situation, there's hope. God's a God of hope in the midst of hopelessness. And he calls people and he says, if you'll just hear, 
If you'll just turn, I have something for you. I have life for you. I'll restore, I'll build, and I'll give you hope for the future that nobody else could give you. That's the message of the prophets. That's the message of Zechariah. And it has a historical meaning and a historical, a historical setting. But don't miss this. Throughout here, just like I've shown you this morning, in places like Zechariah, there's a double meaning. There's a double reference. There's a metaphor of something yet future. There's a call to repentance, and there's an ultimate future final judgment, and you want to escape that. You want to escape that because it's coming. It's coming. Don't become like those people. Don't say, well, I'm okay, and I got time. No, you may not. Jason thought he had time. Never expected to head out in eternity this past week. 25 years old. God's calling. While there's time, repent. Because God, God, there's a king coming. He's, he's the branch, and he's a priest, and he's a king. And he is going to bring ultimate restoration. And those who repent and those who turn to Jesus, you're going to live in a world where there's no more death. There's no more mourning. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. Don't become like the people on the plane that I am like sometimes too when you hear them talk about all the safety briefings and the things that it might happen if we, if we go into the water or whatever. And you say, it's not going to happen to me. Don't be like that spiritually. Well, there's the summary. What's the application? When you study these prophets, you read places like Ezra, and Ezra chapter 5 tells us that God raised up Zechariah, and one of his contemporaries was Haggai. Haggai. That little two-chapter book, prophetic book of Haggai. There were three phases in God allowing people to return from foreign lands, and they came back to the land of Israel, both north and south, and they began to rebuild what the enemy had destroyed. And it was quite a task. You read books like Nehemiah, and God called Nehemiah. He was an administrator, and he was, he was gifted in being able to put people to work and, and put leaders to work and people under them, but it was a daunting task. It was a lot to do. Whenever you, whenever you give your life to the Lord, whenever you repent, whenever you decide you're going to really, you really give your life to Jesus, that's when the devil really perks up. And he hates, he hates now the fact that you've turned to the Lord and you've put yourself in God's hands for him to rebuild your life. And when you're a part of the church and God's restored you, and you have some bit of maturity, and now you say, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do my part in the kingdom of God, and I'm going to, I'm going to do something to make a difference. He hates that too. And so here's the deal. When God comes in and begins to do a work of restoring lives, I looked down last service, young lady Lauren, she's in her 20s, I couldn't believe the first time she came to me months ago and shared her story with me. She was on the streets in Sarasota. She was on the streets in Sarasota. She's blonde. I mean, you look at her and you go, she's just a lovely young woman. She was on the streets. She was addicted to drugs. Her life ruined. And she heard the call. 
so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our valued listening audience. If you'd like to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. We'd like to take a moment and offer you an opportunity to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join us in praying for the listeners of this program? Pray that God would touch each person with His love and that their hearts would be open to the truth of the gospel. Please also pray for us. We want to continue following God's plan for this program, no matter where He asks us to go. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Would you also ask the Lord about contributing financially to the Living Word? This program is professionally produced to provide the best quality messages possible so as not to distract from God's truth. That does incur some costs, though. So if you feel led to give, visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Any and all amounts are greatly appreciated and will be used to share the good news of Jesus' love for the world. Thank you for praying about this. That website one more time is ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for being a part of our time here today on The Living Word.